0: I bring my Bible up here, it's back there for a reason, because I want you to give a big South Haven Passion Church welcome to Mr. Nicholas Mitchell. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Good evening. Um, wow, that's cool. I almost wasn't even here tonight. Um, it's on, it should be on. Alright, I almost wasn't even here. I was uh, going to pick up my friend who just walked in and he lives on this back road uh, over there by the college by the fire station in South Haven. And y'all know, you've seen the roads, everyone got here, so I'm glad y'all made it here safe and everything. But if you want to see Don and Greg Mitchell freak out, just look at their face in a second when I'm telling this story. So the roads is like a twenty-five mile an hour road and it's curving and there's really steep hills going up and down and right before I get pull up to Paul's trailer, it's like a forty-five degree incline at a stop sign. And the car did something that is never done to me before since I've been driving and I'm touching the brakes, pulling up to the stop sign, and it starts grinding and I'm not slowing down at all. Now thankfully, I'm going kinda slow and there's no cars around. So I just start turning early. I'm like, I'm using all the space I got on this one lane road. So I start turning early over towards his trailer cause there's a ditch there and I just went straight into the ditch. So the car's got no brakes cause I'm on ice and it's not slowing down. So I pull into his trailer and I'm like, well, okay, there's my attack. I'm like, what's going on? I haven't been attacked today. I've been having an awesome day. I've been hanging out with my mom and my dad and, like, nothing bad happened. Maybe it's because I didn't leave the house all day, so nothing bad could happen. So, all right, it's easy. It's easy when I'm just sitting in my house, you know, and not worry about it. So I pull into the driveway, and thankfully, Paul's here now. He wasn't there at the time, but he made it. So that's awesome. I'm really glad that he gets to be here for this. And um, that's cool what Tony was saying about the nursing home this weekend. Uh, what's true religion? It's true religion. You come to church on Wednesday, even if it's in the ice. Come to church on Sunday, even if it's nice. That's true religion, right? Now, true religion is caring for who? Caring for the orphans and the widows. So I'm pretty sure that with this weather we've been having, there probably hasn't been anyone visiting that life nursing home the past few days. So I already know the praise team is going to be there, but if we could get a lot of the congregation to come hang out with them, sit with them at the tables and stuff, that's really cool because that's true religion. That's that's caring for the orphans and widows, you know. We've been at youth camp the past four days with Bill and Mary or Bill and Angie and all those people going woo back there. And uh, one of the guys had a shirt on that he wore a couple times that said it says something like, forget religion, find Jesus, something like that. So it's like that's really what we need, you know. So I want to tell y'all something pretty cool that happened to me. God's been giving me some dreams lately. So over the past few months, he's been giving me a lot of dreams. And what's cooler than that is he's been giving me the meaning of these dreams. He's been translating them to me and telling me what these dreams mean. And I don't know if y'all know anything about marijuana, but one of the side effects is you don't really dream on it. Like if you smoke a lot of weed, You don't really have dreams. So, I didn't have dreams for a long time. And now that I'm like three years sober, give or take, I've been having all these dreams that God's been giving me. So, He gave me this just last night. I woke up this morning and He revealed the meaning of this dream to me. So, He gave me this dream, and it's me and my older sister Sarah, and we're walking in the deserted wilderness. It's just sand. There's nothing around us. So we're walking, and then all of a sudden, this little baby fawn comes sprinting right up by the shin of my leg. This little baby deer comes sprinting and runs off in the same direction we're already walking. So we just keep walking, and we turn around a corner where all this foliage is, and there's a tiger eating that baby deer that just ran straight past me. So me and my sister see this tiger just going to town eating his dinner, this baby deer. So we turn around and we start running back the other way we just came from. And we see these rocks on a little hilltop. And there's an opening in the rocks, there's a crevice. So we walk in and it's really dark. And it's like a long hallway inside these rocks in the hill. And there's a door at the end of the hallway. So we walk up to the door. And I open it and it's pitch black in there because we're inside the hill. There's no sunlight coming in, so it's pitch black. All I can see is some silhouette of some people inside this room. So I'm like go into this dark room with some weird people I don't know or stay out here with with this tiger. So I go inside the room. I open up the door, me and my sister go in. There's little kids in this room. We're like stepping over them to get over in this corner. So hopefully if something comes at us, we can see it, but it's pitch black. So really, I don't know what we're gonna see coming. So we're inside this room now and this little old lady comes up to us and she gives us both a thin slice of bread. She hands me and my sister both a slice of bread. And then she gives both of us a cup of water and both the cups of water are only half full. So she says, you can have this water if you go do something for me. Now, my sister's already got the cup up to her lips, starting to drink it. I almost smack it out of her head. I said, don't drink that water until we find out what she wants us to do for it. And then I asked the lady, I say, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do for this water? And she said, and y'all are going to think I'm really weird, but that's okay. Um, She said, I want you to take this smallest little newborn baby in this room, and you and your sister, you're going to go out in the wilderness and you gotta eat this baby. But you can't tell anyone. You can't tell anyone where you're going, what you're doing. You can't tell anybody what happened to this little baby. You gotta go out in the wilderness and eat it. So I got this gun-wrenching feeling like, you know, that's nasty, I'm not gonna do that. And that's the end of the dream, which I'm glad that's the end of the dream, because I hope I didn't really do it. But so now the meaning of this dream. I spent when I woke up this morning, I spent the next hour reading. And praying, and I said, God, when I read John chapter 5, you're going to reveal to me what that dream means. And yes, that's exactly how I said it to God. I said, when I read John chapter 5, you are going to tell me what this dream means. And he did it to me. It says, come boldly. It says, be bold with God. We don't have this a timid spirit. We don't have a fearful spirit. We are to be bold. When we speak something in Jesus' name, it is really going to happen. It's not maybe it's happening. It's like, oh, can you please do it? It says when you ask it in Jesus' name, that means it's going to happen. But that doesn't mean I have to ask, God, can you please do this? Or, God, will you please do this? I ask, God, do this. God, do, Or not, God, do you want this to happen? But, God, make it happen. Please make it happen. You're not being rude or disrespectful. He knows where your heart at. He wants you to ask you in his will. He wants you to ask for his will to be done so this is what I'm doing I'm just getting we're going to go into this a little bit later but since camp when I tell you all what happened to me at camp I'm just getting really bold and just going all out and just recklessly praying to God and holding nothing back because he already knows my thoughts anyway so I'm not going to hold any of it back from him so the meaning of this dream me and my sister are walking in the wilderness and This little baby deer comes running past us, and we see this tiger. So what this symbolizes, what the wilderness symbolizes is kind of where we're at. A lot of us feel like, you know, there's all this bad stuff going on. This tiger is attacking, killing something over here. There's murder going on. We're kind of stranded out here on our own. We don't really see anything good in sight. There's no hope in sight. It's just all this terrible stuff happening around us in the world, right? So then we go, and we go into the dark room with this old lady. And she tries to give us the bread, and she tries to give us the water, but it's a catch. There's something we got to do for it. Now notice the cups of water she tried to give us were only half full, right? So they weren't going to keep us going very long. So she's trying to tell us, you know, if you do what we're asking you to do with this baby, we're going to take care of you, kind of. we got this bread for you. we got this water for you. But you stop and think about it. Why... If she has this food and water, why do I have to go kill this precious little newborn baby? And it wasn't just, you got to go get rid of this baby. It's you got to eat this baby. These people are so bad off in the wilderness that they can't even waste that little bit of meat from a newborn child. Because they know that's if we go eat that, then when we come back, we're not going to be hungry for the next day or two because we just put some meat in us. That's how bad off these people are, that they wanted us to go do that. So the point is, is in this world, there's all sorts of things that we try to get satisfaction from and that people point us to, to try to sustain us. But there's only one bread that's really going to sustain us. There's only one water that's really going to sustain us. And Jesus is the bread of life. He's got living water. When you drink from that water, you're never going to thirst again. Now, some people, in, some people in here, and some people y'all know, they've been trying to quench this thirst with ungodly things. You know what I'm saying? They've been going, whether it be alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography, whatever it is, they're going something that they think is going to fulfill them and make them feel better. It might even be something good. Sometimes good things aren't always God. It might be if you're just thinking you're going to get a really successful job and a big house and a family, and if that's all you're doing is going to work and you're just working for that money every day, what good is that giving you? If you're just going all your time, you just at work, and then you're at home with your family. Where are you planting seeds? Where are you harvesting? Where are you getting fruits from? So it's not always just those bad things I listed at the beginning. You know, people think they're going to get satisfaction like a single mother just go hang out with a boyfriend or something who's taking care of her children. What's really going on with that? So that's going to bring us to our first passage. Jesus, come tonight, Lord. Let your will be done in this place, whatever you want to happen. We thank you for being here tonight. We thank you for every person that's supposed to be here, being here safely in this weather, in these road conditions. We thank you for taking care of us, Lord. Thank you for bringing your word forward. And let your will be done in this place in Jesus name. Amen. So we're going to look at John chapter four when Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman. Now, this is a woman that, you know, the disciples are surprised when they finally get there and he's talking to her. Like, why is he talking to this lady? What's he want with her? So let's go to verse 7. John chapter 4, verse 7. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. For the Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. This lady is surprised that Jesus is come to talk to her. They got nothing to do with each other. Can we just think about that real quick? How many times have you been surprised when you walk up to a stranger and talk to him? That happens to me like almost every day. Maybe it's because I'm awkward when I do it. I was like, what's up, man? I'm Nick. What's your name? But see, he's outgoing. If he's an introvert, he's like, what do you mean? I just walk up to someone because I want to know their name before I start ministering to them or praying to them or something. But it's like, these people are like, why are you talking to me? What are you doing in Horn Lake, Mississippi over here where I'm in my neighborhood and you just coming out of the blue and talking to me? And it catches people off guard. It's weird because nobody's doing it, but that's what we're supposed to be set apart. We're not supposed to be doing what everybody else is doing. We're supposed to be making a difference. So this lady shocked that Jesus is even talking to her. She said to Jesus, "You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink?" Verse 10. Jesus replied, "If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water." "But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket," she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestors, Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals have enjoyed? So this woman is telling Jesus, you think you're better than all these people that have been here before? All these people that have been telling us what to do and how to live and how to be fulfilled? So all these things that all our friends and everybody's telling us to do and all things that they do, and they think you're crazy if you don't do it with them. They can't believe that you're not participating in what they're doing right now. They can't believe that you drove out here in the ice to come to church for an hour. They're like, what's wrong with you, man? You know how dangerous that is? We could be over here safely watching this game Or doing whatever. We could be drinking beers in the apartment is a lot safer than driving out to church this Wednesday night. Like, seriously. And they're like, what is wrong with you? You think you know so much more than us that you're going to go do this. You think you're so much better than us. That's what this woman is telling Jesus right now. All these people have been doing it this way. They've been providing for us for so long. My parents have been providing for me for so long and they do it this way. But you're saying that because you come up to me and you tell me about this guy named Jesus that now I shouldn't do live the way my parents have been living. It's been working for them. My parents ain't married, you know what I'm saying? But they, they have me and my sisters, and they're, and they're having fun. And you know my dad has other girlfriends and stuff, But my parents and this is the way my parents have been bringing up, and it's been working. And they go out and they party all the time and stuff. And you're telling me that just because you come up here and you tell me about this Jesus guy, that I should start living a different way and I shouldn't do what my ancestors doing? That's what this lady's telling Jesus. That's the same thing she's saying. Verse 13, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them giving them eternal life. It's the only thing that's going to really satisfy you. is Jesus. All the other stuff that your ancestors have been doing, that your family and friends have been doing, and they look at you like you're crazy because you're trying something else. Well, your thing really works. You know what I'm saying? We've been hitting our heads against the wall over and over, trying the same things like, oh, yeah, you know, that backfired on me last time, but the drink might feel good this time. Or whatever it is, whatever your deal is. Like I said, it's not, just, it's not just the stuff we label like, oh, that deacon in the church is drinking. It can be other things that don't even seem terrible, but if you ain't doing them in the name of Jesus, why are you doing it? So we're going to flip on over to John 4, verse 34. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done that work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Now it is important that we plant seeds and stuff all the times and we give little tidbits out and stuff. What this passage is saying is the seeds are already planted. We are in America, almost every single person like, it, it blows my mind. I'll go witness to someone and lead them to salvation in public, and they, almost every time I can tell them, quote John 3.16 to me. Quote John 3.16 to me. The seeds are already planted. They already got that verse. If you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you're saved. They don't even hear the words that are coming out of their mouth when they quote it to me. The seeds are already planted. They already got the answer to eternal life. They already got what they need right there. They're just not really listening to it and applying it to their heart. It's just head knowledge. But the seeds are already planted. If every person in this country, for the most, now I understand that there are really some people out there that have seriously never been presented the gospel. I get that. But I'm saying for the most part, all the people around us here in the Bible part, the seed's already been planted. It's time to harvest. It's not just like, they're like, God bless you. And you're like, oh, he said, God bless me. He's saved, like he's good. No, no. A Muslim guy came in and told me, God bless me every single day. And I struck up a conversation with him. I've been wanting to talk to him for months and months and months. And and he's a real nice guy. We'll sit in there. We'll talk politics. He's a French teacher. We'll talk about the world and stuff. We'll talk about anything going on. And I've been just dying. I'm like, God, I know I'm going to witness to him. When can I witness to him? Please, please, please. I know it's going to be the right time. Finally, I think it was my last day of work. So I'll never be over there able to witness to these specific group of people again. And this guy came in and there's all these other things going on. There's phones ringing. There's other people and there's people, you know, distractions and stuff that are going to try to prevent it from happening. And I finally get to talking to him and he's saying something. I'm like, yeah, he's a teacher. So I'm like, yeah, I want to be a teacher too and stuff. He's like, I want to teach people about Jesus. Right. So he's like, well, how can you do that in the public school? Right. And we get to talking, and it turns out his wife is a Christian, and he's a Muslim. Now, you got to understand, I've been talking to this guy, and he almost like he considered me a friend. You know, I joke with him every time he comes in and everything. And he tells me his wife is a Christian. I said, well, how does that work? He says, she accepts me for how I am. I accept her for how she is. We know that for religion— She believes this. She goes here on Sunday, and I go here on what day do they, I think it's Friday or something. He's like, and I go to mosque on Friday. I don't know what day it is, but Saturday. All right, so I go on Saturday. So thank you. So I asked him, I said, do you know what the phrase unequally yoked means? Have you ever heard of that? He goes, no. I had his attention now. He was staring right at me. He's like, no, he's waiting for me to tell him what it means. So I tell him, I explain what unequally yoked means. Out there's two oxen, and the yoke is going over their necks, and they're plowing a field. If one of them's going a different direction than the other one, they're going to do a terrible job plowing that field. And at the same token, if one of them's stronger than the other one, then it's going to be all crooked, and they're going to do a terrible job. They both have to have the same common goal. And I'm telling him, I'm like, look, I love everybody, dude. I love you. I love people no matter what their beliefs are, what they say about me or not. I love them all. But how for the person that you should spending your life with? And, I'm, and I'm, they've been married like 25 years. So I'm y'all gotta understand, you know, he would have every right to just like beat my butt right there. But I'm like, I'm like, look, I love the fact that you're married. I'm not saying anything bad about you and your wife, but how do you choose that person that you're gonna spend this much time with to be your sole strong partner? And y'all have different goals. And he says, yes, for religion, we do have different goals. That was pretty much the end of it. There was a lot going on. So he kind of took off. But I got his name, you know. I prayed for him and everything. Uh, I didn't stand there and pray for him, but I did. As he was leaving, I was praying and stuff. So, yes, it planted a seed for sure. And I've been praying that a couple times. I've praying that he would have salvation through his wife. Because the Bible says that if you're already married to a non-believer... You should stay married with them because the wife could get salvation through a husband or a husband should get salvation through a wife. But that passage is talking about if you're already married. That does not give you permission to get involved in a relationship with someone who is not saved and is not currently serving the Lord. That is for if you're already stuck and found in that predicament before you come to Jesus. But no one in here has a reason to do that because all of you know Jesus. So you got no reason to be involved Seriously, with non-believers. We love everybody and we talk to everybody because that's the only way the word's going to get spread. But when it's a true partnership like that, like a boyfriend or a girlfriend, they need to be on the same page as you. They don't need to be like you witness to them and bring them to church for the first time and get in a relationship with them. No, they need to be someone that's already rooted and already knows some stuff about God and wants to do the same things that you want to do. You don't want a baby Christian to be your partner. Because then, when bad stuff comes your way, they're not going to be able to handle it. They're not going to understand that they are being spiritually attacked right now and that the enemy is coming against you. You want someone who's going to be strong and who loves Jesus as much as you love Jesus. So this camp, guys, this winter camp that the teenagers and Bill and Angie just went to, it was insane. It was so cool. We had, what did Zach's post say? I think it said like 14 people got saved or something, and it's just beautiful. Way more than that, people got baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time and healed and everything. It was just phenomenal. It was phenomenal. We had church. It was really good. We had church all day, every day, multiple services. And it was amazing. So, we go into service on Saturday night. And there's this guy there. He doesn't preach long at all. He just preaches a few minutes. He's not coming in all crazy, like the rest of the preachers who are in there ready for a party. They're like, what's up, guys? Let's get totally Gucci lit right now. No, he didn't do any of that. He just he just calmly walked in. He didn't even stand up. He sat down on a stool when he was talking. He just sat there, really calm voice, and just told you the facts. He said, there's some people in here that want to take their life tonight. 17 people prevented from suicide that night. So, there's some people in here struggling with forgiveness. Might be forgiveness for yourself, forgiving other people, but you need to forgive. There's some people in here struggling with rejection. You've been rejected. Who hasn't been rejected at least one time in your life, right? I mean, there's all these people. I'm like, that's why I responded to the altar call before. I'm like, yeah, I've been rejected. I'm going to that altar call. So,. It was it was amazing. It was amazing. So this man, he calls everybody up to the front. You know, I respond, I'm there. I'm praying, praying for the teenagers and everything. But then one of the other ministers, he's like, you want prayer, you want prayer? I will never refuse prayer. Y'all could walk up to me like right now and ask me if I want prayer, and I'd say yes. <laughs> like seriously. So yeah, I went up there. I took him wherever he was leading me. I went up there, I stood with him. And God guy come around and prayed for me. And people are getting slain in the spirit. So what this is, is God is so powerfully here in front of you that you don't even have strength in your body to stand up because he knocks you off your feet. And that's what was happening. I've been in services like this before and people would fall over and stuff. And... It's never happened to me personally before though because I didn't want to be fake. I didn't want to like let myself fall or something. So I was telling y'all earlier about being bold. So I said, God, you're going to have to make me. You got to push me, God. You got to push me down. I'm telling you guys, when you pray recklessly, you're laughing because you know it's true. It's going to happen, but you better be ready. Don't you dare start praying recklessly like this if you're not ready to give it up. If you are praying for something that you are not ready to get out of your life yet, you better not pray for it. Because in Jesus' name, it is going to happen. When we pray for something to happen, it is going to happen. So you better be ready. Because I'm telling you, my entire body was sore. I could not move one muscle. I could not move. God knocked me down. And I even said, I said, well, God, you pushed me down here. You're going to have to pick me up too. I said, you got to pick me up. God told me so many, I don't know how long I was down there. God told me so many different things. He's just speaking to me and speaking to me, speaking. I'm like, yes, Lord. Yes, 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 yes. I will, I will, I will. It was amazing. So I like, I literally, they dismissed the whole service and they, they dismissed it. I opened my eyes. Bill's got pictures if you want to make fun of me later. Go ask Bill. He's got some pictures for you. Yeah, yeah. So I open my eyes the first time. The guy's trying to dismiss the service, and I can't move. I just close my eyes back again. Two other guys talk. I look. I can't move. About 10 minutes after that, I sit up. I'm sitting on the ground, and then I just fall back down over. I sit up, and I still have God just knocked me back over again. And Chandler finally come up to me. because I, I said, God, you are going to have to pick me up, God. I said, you put me down here. You're going to get me up. And I'm telling you guys, like, I'm not being disrespectful. If you, you really pray this way, you really pray for what you need to happen. Like, we're we're not playing games. This is a war. We don't want to say, like, God, can we maybe win this battle? Can we maybe win this war if it's cool with you and you got time? He's got time. You know how much he loves us, how much he's thinking about us constantly? He's got time for you all the time. He is never sleeping. He is there At night, when you're asleep, he is still spending time protecting you and getting you ready for the next day and getting things ready for the next day for you. So Chandler finally comes over. He's like, well, he checked on me a couple times. He's like, what did you say? You want to get up? I'm like, dude, I don't know if I can move. I don't know if I can move. And he's like, okay, Chandler picks me up physically, all 150 pounds of me picks me all the way up. Now, I would give props to him, but then the next night, he had two men sitting on his shoulders. There was a guy with a guy on his shoulders, and then Chandler got under him. Chandler had two guys up on his shoulders like a human tower. So picking me up was nothing, but I still appreciate it. But So the point of this is we came expecting We expected stuff to happen that whole weekend. That's what Bill kept telling us. Be expecting. He said, Bill kept telling all of us, every single person, we want to be expecting. So I'm like, what are we expecting? We're expecting snow? We're expecting. We're expecting God to show up and do something amazing. And what's really cool is in these services, some people weren't expecting But God still showed up and did it because if you step out, you take that little step, God's going to meet you there. We had several, several testimonies of teenagers got up on stage and they said, yeah, I was there. I had my hand raised, but I didn't expect anything to happen. But I say, God, I'm yours. Fill me up. And it happened. And they said, I wasn't expecting it to happen. But it still did. If you just got that smallest, tiniest little faith of a mustard seed, it's going to happen. And God's going to show up. There's nothing you got to do to earn it. You cannot earn it. You cannot work hard enough. And I'm glad that. You don't have to be good enough to deserve it either because I know that I'm garbage. I would not deserve it. So I'm so thankful that he loves it so much that he just freely gives his love away to us. And it's phenomenal. We had people healed there just because simply there's nothing special about this camp. There's nothing special about the men who spoke at this camp. There's nothing special about the building I'm pretty sure it was probably like a basketball gym or something like it wasn't like what was it? Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like the world's greatest sanctuary where where we've been praying over the presence being there all day every day every Sunday morning. It was a normal building with normal men who were obedient and did what God told them to do. <laughs>